Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Fitness Devil Podcast. Today, we've got John Goodman of the Personal Trainer Development Center and a whole lot more with us. We're going to explain some of his other exploits. Uh, John is going to tell us today about how through his formative career, he actually had never hired a coach or a mentor and how he went about getting all this information for himself. But the value in when knowing when to find a coach or a mentor for you. We also go over how Instagram has the shiny new IGTV, the newest thing that we all feel the pressure to hop onto, but perhaps focusing on the fundamentals and the essentials and doing things well and not chasing trends may be the better approach to being successful in our industry. Uh, we also look at um, you know travel and people who tend to be happier because they value experiences over accumulating material things. We get into a discussion. Bit of a quicker episode. We didn't have a ton of time, so hopefully, really enjoy it and uh, stick around. Like, share, subscribe. Shut up and sit down. Hi, everyone. Forgive my voice. Uh, Andrew's not feeling the best today, so uh, we're a little raspy, but uh, hopefully, we'll let John Goodman do all of the talking. So if you hear that name before, it probably means one of two things to you. And John's probably tired of this joke. You've either watched a lot of Roseanne growing up and, uh, you know, you have a very, very heavy set actor or, you know, him as the trainer, uh, the creator of the Personal Trainer Development Center, OnlineTrainer.com, the author of several books, including Ignite the Fire, and now the creator of Fitness Marketing Monthly, which I recently subscribed to. And it's fantastic. So fortunately, we have the latter John Goodman. And uh, welcome, John. Thanks for joining us. The funniest thing about me sharing the name with John Goodman, the actor, is first of all, I mean, Roseanne is what he's most famous for, but like, he was the blue monster in Monsters, Inc. Man, he's played some of my favorite roles, uh, which which is awesome because he he's a fantastic actor. But actually, the for, for internet geeks out there, the most powerful link back that I have to my website has nothing to do with fitness. It's because the author or the, the creator of a website called Grantland, which for anybody who knows Grantland, it's like the biggest sports website in the world. Um, he also created 30 for 30 ESPN. He put out like a mailbag thing where he asked people to find the most ironic cases of people who shared names with celebrities. <laughs> and and somebody submitted my name, personal trainer with John Goodman. And I got a link back. All of a sudden I see like 4,000 hits back to my profile page on the PTDC website. And and I was like, what the heck is going on? And that's still, if you look at like uh, the links and, and, and how effective they are and how important they are, that's like the number two or number three link back we have. So um, so so it's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing I to would... share a name every once in a while. I, I share my name with no one. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, right. That, is that a good strategy you use in your online? Like, you know, switch your name to someone famous and try to get a link back? Well, I mean, not necessarily switch your name to something famous, but... Look, actors always change their names to make it more appealing. And, and, and I know a lot of people who are in branding and are in marketing that use variations of their name that stick out a little bit more. Mm. Um, Lisa Richards is a fantastic example that she writes for us in the FMM. Fantastic coach, branding coach. She calls herself Lisa Simone Richards. Uses her name. Um, that's a much more attractive name than Lisa Richards. See, so that's a good little tidbit. See, we wouldn't even have known that if we didn't talk about your your name matching up. See, that yeah, that's yeah. a gold well, nugget. Dean, <laughs> we kind of do we kind of do this with you because your name is pronounced Guido, but everybody calls you Guido. That's so true, it and it, it does work. I use the Jersey Shore <laughs> reference, and my my middle name is James, so James Dean and Dean James. I kind of go with that sometimes, but you know. okay. So, so that's a porn star, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. No actor, yeah. actor, actor. 
There's probably um, a porn star. Yes. But yes. The, I don't want to go. I'm not going to go type that up right now. Yeah, no, so we've got John for a limit, limited amount of time, relative to usual. So I'm going to jump right in, and uh, so it's going to be really easy to find podcasts detailing your early career, your inspiration uh, behind the work uh, behind PTDC. So instead of asking you that stuff, and people can Google that and find lots of that stuff, I want to ask what your current focus is and your plans in the immediate future and the long term stuff you plan for the industry. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're asking about my current professional focus. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a I have a 15 month year old son, so he's he's my focus. Uh, but professionally, I, you know, I found a space that I really love. I've, as I said, I've done a lot in the industry, from conferences to putting on events to uh, digital programs to writing books to creating certifications and writing a textbook. And through that all, I've kind of figured out what I love doing the most, which is really writing and publishing. Um, I feel like I found my space within the industry and I'm so happy with it. So we're going deep down the rabbit hole with publishing. And anybody who follows me knows that I basically don't do any video. And in addition, I mean, podcasts, like this is a spot where I'm, I open myself up to podcasts. I'm doing 25 or 30 within about three weeks time. And then I won't do another podcast for six months. It's just a matter of, of focusing on what I think I do best and what I enjoy the most and, and ignoring everything else. And, and I think in this kind of world of omnipresence where people feel like they kind of need to be everything to everyone and, and be everywhere, I think it's, it's never been more important to be more to the people and the things that matter and be less to the people and the things that don't. And so I'm just, I'm, I wake up excited to work every day. I mean, I love writing. I love publishing. I love putting stuff in print. I love putting real things in real people's hands mm. and all my work digitally publishing has, has kind of moved me to that direction. Well, speaking of what you just said about publishing and putting things in people's hands, like the, the fitness monthly or marketing monthly, I got to get mm. used to how to say that. Um, like that's a analog mail out. That's a piece of paper you hold in your hands, which yeah. in a digital world, it's kind of like every people going back and listening to vinyl almost as opposed to MP3s. But it's uh, insane. It's, it's oh. absolutely insane and idiotic and stupid and so unbelievably difficult <laughs> that anybody who has never done it before cannot begin to comprehend. So to put together this publication, um, basically I hired arguably the two best fitness editors on the planet. Lou I mean, Shuler. they ran like, like Lou Schuler, you know, award-winning, he's, he's our editorial director, but award-winning editor. I mean, men's health, muscle and fitness, T-Nation for years. Adam Campbell was the chief editorial officer for men's health, uh, women's health, prevention, oxygen, runner's world, all of those publications, everything that Will Dale did, all of their books, and all of their direct consumers. So he was in charge of 500 editors at one point, um, basically controlling fitness information. So I hired these two guys on to help us build it. And what I learned, I got a lot of interesting behind the scenes. I mean, in an issue of Men's Health, they basically have 16 pages of content. That's it. In 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 a real in an issue of the full magazine, we've got 28. <laughs> so so when you think about that. And, and when you think about, I mean, it's like, Andrew, you've seen it. It's, it's text heavy, right? I yep. mean, we, our goal is to make every word count. There's no long winding narratives. There's, there's nothing like that. Um, it's basically problem agitation solution. And, and it's a beast to put together each month. And not only that, it needs to be perfect because when you're putting something in print, you can't change it. No. Once it's mailed out to people. It's in the mail. And I mean, we've got 
well over a thousand subscribers and we're shipping this thing to over 50 countries. So it's, it's a beast of a project and it's stupid and it's idiotic, but we somehow were able to pull it off and I'm ecstatic with how it turned out. Well, it's, it's I, those, it's, I love it so far. It's one of those weird <laughs> things though, where like, like you said, because it's in print and because it's permanent, you almost have to take that extra effort. Like right now we could have grammar errors. We might have a flare up here sure. and there, but it's kind of cool. Cause that's how the, the medium is supposed to be. But then you get things like that. And like, if you, if you had like a bunch of typos that would reflect poorly, which is kind of a weird backwards thing, but it is interesting because yeah. it almost takes twice as long to do something that is the same, just different, but well, for sure. And I think, I think one of the biggest problems is it's too easy to do a bad job these days. And that's yeah. why so many people do. Yeah. It's too easy to put out a, a, a haphazard status update on Facebook and pretend like you're working or marketing. Mm -hmm. It's too easy to shoot a video with your phone and pretend like you're doing video marketing or, or, or yeah. you're creating content. And part of what I'm doing personally with this and, and what I always do with putting together books and stuff like that is I'm making it harder because it forces me to be better. Yeah. And I think there's something that from, from the, from the customer standpoint, from your guys' standpoint, there's finality in print. A lot of the reason why, you know, like, like information is abundant, consumption is rare. A lot of the reason why people don't take action on information that's free and that's everything that they ever need is because of its infiniteness. You know, there's too much of it. And so there's always a related article, a related podcast, one more thing that you think that you need to do before you take action. The result is there's no permission to actually take action finality in print or finality in anything really kind of combats that you flip the final page the book's done you take action well even that paywall is is that idea. it's not even finality but it's that whole point that you're signing on to the journey as opposed to it just being there for free and as much as people like giving information up for free that paywall really puts some pain in the consumer to like actually go learn it because like if it's and painful it, and enough it chooses that, the right consumer yeah absolutely right. because if you're willing to go <laughs> And well, I go, guess, yeah, it goes into uh, two things I was going to say. First of all, it goes into anyone who's hiring a coach, which is the business that we're all in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to have a little bit of skin in the game and an investment, something on the line, I think, for a lot of people to be accountable to it and then get more out of it. Now, where I wanted to make sure we went with this yeah. is speaking of all this stuff and uh, is the launch of the online personal trainer academy again this time around because yes. i know you wanted to speak about that so can you tell everybody about this guys if you are in fitness especially if you're interested in online training or doing it this is the part you really want to pay attention to yeah i mean i'm happy to I'll, I'll give you a bit of an overview um the online trainer academy is the first ever certification in the world for online trainers so it's generally for trainers who have trained for a minimum of at least a year you do want to get in person experience first but once you have a lot of trainers hit the point where they need to make a bit more and a bit less time with a bit better schedule and through our research back in 2012, we did 100,000 plus data points, basically figured out that online training was the best solution for a lot of trainers to begin to make that transition. And, and that transition means something different to everybody else. I mean, call it freedom. You can call it whatever you want. Some people, it means that they volunteer more. Some people, it means that they spend more time with their family. Some people, it means that it frees up time so they can do more with their business. Whatever it means, you need that kind of transition. You need that first step. And, and online training bridges the gap for that lot. So um, back in 2013, I was one of the first people to really start teaching people how to build an online trainer business. It started with a beta group, turned into a course called 1K Extra. That course evolved into the Online Trainer Academy in 2016, which came with the first ever textbook on online training. Um, we're now in a version 2.0. 
with the textbook um, to come to gold standard in the world for, for certification. We have uh, graduate students in 76 plus countries that we know of and um, thousands of students. I mean, I could never prove this, but as far as I know, to the best of my knowledge, we've trained more people to become online trainers than everybody else put together. I believe that. And one, pl- this is the kind of the cool part. So recently, on, and this is just the kind of going the opposite end of that. Recently on Facebook, you kind of talked about how you've never hired a mentor or coach in developing your career. So, right. <laughs> and in many ways, I got some yeah. slack for coaches for that, by the way. I got some nasty messages from coaches. For oh, that. I can imagine. And, especially- well, and, and the most interesting thing about that was every single person thought that I was talking about them. Yeah. That, and I wasn't talking about any of them. Well, that, that was interesting. Well, explain exactly what you're talking about in that. Because like, like I said, I guess Facebook is that whole idea of where it's not contrived and doesn't take a long time. So you put that out there and people take it every different way. And like, what was the actual meaning behind that? Because I know there's a deeper story to it than just, I don't hire a coach. Yeah. I mean, I've actually got a book finished. It hasn't been out yet just because I haven't gotten around to marketing it and, and, and working with my art director to do all the publishing of it yet. But I actually have a book finished that comes before Ignite the Fire, which was the first book that I wrote that is for trainers immediately after they become certified to help them bridge the gap to become qualified. Yeah. It's literally called Bridge the Gap. <laughs> and um, part of that is I talk about my journey to to gaining information and how I was able to sort of leapfrog a lot of trainers that I was working with. And I realized pretty early on that the, the importance of the quality of the workout that I give to a client pales in comparison to the importance of my ability to get a client to want to do the workout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to figure out marketing. I needed to figure out psychology. I needed to figure out how to get somebody to want to do something. And I mean, that's that's adherence, but it's also marketing messages. But I, I almost failed marketing in high school and I never took anything in university. So where do you start? So I literally picked, picked up my brother's marketing textbook off of the shelf in my parents' basement and read that start to finish. Then I went to the bookstore where, where we live. It's called Chapters. I went to the bookstore and I looked at all the best-selling marketing books. I wrote them down on a piece of paper. I walked across the street to the library and I checked as many of them out as I could. And if I couldn't find that book, I checked out other books by that author. Right. And I just started like fiendishly reading this stuff. And, and the reason why I wrote that post, I mean, I tell that story in, in the book because I think it's important for trainers to, for anybody new in a business to realize that, yeah, coaches and mentorship are really important. But the reality of it is most coaches and, and, and mentors and things like that aren't true mentorships, like they don't really work with you. They're kind of a glorified done-for-you type program. Yeah. You know, that coach or, or whoever has had success with a thing, um, maybe they they actually had success with the thing, maybe they didn't. You don't actually really know, but that's a whole other conversation. They figured out a system of how they can presumably help somebody else have success with that thing, and then they teach that system, which is fantastic if that system is perfectly right for you. Yeah. But if it's not it can very easily steer you in the wrong direction. And that's what I feel is happening a lot of the time where where young coaches in the fitness industry, but I'm sure it happens across other industries too, will go out and hire coaches and mentors and join mentorships and things like that and are actually done more of a disservice than anything else because they're not quite ready for that yet. They haven't, you know, you, you got to know the rules before you break them. You've got to collect the experience. You've got to collect the knowledge first, the wisdom first, before you go out and you start to make decisions of, 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 of which kind of directions to really go, because you need to be able to properly assess. 
what somebody's telling you. And that's, you don't do the hard work of like, I guess, collecting, but like you go to the bookstore, but it's the same stuff I do is like, go and collect everything and put it in your brain oh. so you can disseminate it through the mentorship because the mentorship's not going to make you do the hard work of actually learning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, some do, some yeah. do, some absolutely do. And there are some fantastic ones that have book clubs and things like that, which are great. Um, but the reality of it is when you're young in any career and you don't have a lot of money, you trade time. Yeah. Once you start to have a bit more money, you start buying back your time with money. And, and, and the, the process by how, how you do that will change for everybody depending on your background. Yeah. But you should never put yourself in a position where if something you do because it costs so much money would seriously put you under or put you into debt. Yeah. Like, there is no reason anybody should go into debt for anything ever. <clears throat> like, like debt is evil. There is so much information out there. There is so much help out there. You can go on Coursera. You could take, you could take courses for free remotely from Princeton University. So why in the world? And, and <clears throat> so, so that's a lot of what that was about. Was was not knocking coaching and mentorship. I think it's very important. Um, but kind of understanding it a little bit better. I mean, I have mentors for sure. I don't pay them. They're people who truly believe in me. Yeah. That I've been able to prove that I have something that's worth them investing their time and, and guiding me on. Well, and over time, we've become peers. And that's kind uh, of something that you probably learned along the way too. But and because people probably contact you, but like you can kind of tell <laughs> the difference between someone who's interested and who's going to put the work in and is going to help people. And you're more willing to mentor that person because they're the right person. There's a lot of people that want to suck your time and won't actually follow through. And I think that that's a good yeah. point for anyone trying to even get a mentor, quote unquote, but you got to, you got to be that right person. Yeah. I think, I think you've got to show that you, that you're willing to do the work and you've got to show, I, I was told a story yesterday. I was speaking to, to um, a chap, I'll say because he was in the UK, a chap named Mark Coles, uh, who's an unbelievable coach in the UK and also an unbelievable business coach in the UK as well. I'd recommend it to anybody. And, he was telling me a story about, you know, somebody who he coached that came to him. I think it was somebody who came to one of his coaches, but basically came to him and they said, you know, my family's not supportive of my diet. What do I do? And he goes, well, how many times have you tried to diet before? You know, a dozen. He's like, well, your family doesn't believe in you because you haven't given them reason to believe in you yet. Just kind of cut out for a second when the... Okay, did you? Sorry about that. <laughs> Where did I cut out on? Uh, I think it cut out on just talking about, like, 30 seconds ago. The, Shit. The mic <laughs> Sorry okay. about that, John. Uh, no, it's no problem. No, I think, I think you know, y you kind of want to hire people whose reputation proceeds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't really want to hire somebody who goes out and begs you to hire them. It's the same with personal trainers. I mean, how do you make more money? You make more money by making people want to work with you, to go out and beg you, and you have less time than demand. And that's when people pay you premium prices. And so that's what you should kind of, I think, be looking for in a coach. But the reality of it is somebody who really has reached a level of success is probably not going to coach you for a few thousand bucks because they don't need a few thousand bucks. So it's not a money thing for them. It's that they actually believe in you and they know that, A, their success over the long term is going to be contingent upon how successful they can make you and also their legacy, Yeah. Um, which are just as important, which means that they're going to choose people that would really believe in which means that they're going to choose people to work with who have shown a propensity to actually do great work. That kind of comes first. Well, especially once they kind of realize that like money isn't everything. Like I, I think that legacy is almost a really good thing. Cause like 
you have to create something bigger and there's going to be a point for a lot of people where money's not the most important factor. It's that whole idea of what are they bringing to this earth? And they're going to well, collect- hierarchy of needs. Yeah, Money's absolutely. a really important factor until you have it. And, and then once you have it and you're secure with it, um, it no longer becomes that important. I mean, there's tons of studies of that, that the happiest people in America make $75,000 a year. Any more or any less leads to a dissatisfaction in quality of life. And, and I mean, that's not, that's obviously an average. That's not for everybody. Some people are really happy with wealth. But for the most part, as long as your bills are paid and all the people you love are looked after and you know you don't have to worry and you're secure, money becomes representative more than it actually becomes something that's important. And, and it's representative. It's kind of like an ego thing. It's kind of a comparison thing. Um, and and that's just a downward spiral. Well, and the, actually, that's something like, – let's bring it up now. But like even when we look at your personal story and I guess what you kind of put on the media, it's that whole travel and family are a big part of what you do. And that but, goes back to that whole idea of experiences versus things. So we'll call it cars, big houses, all the shit people are putting out there about business coaching. Yeah, okay. But like kind of that sense of prioritizing who you are and how you spend your money. So can you kind of talk on that and the whole idea of experiences instead of accumulating things or having goals that are monetarily driven? Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, keep in mind, like, this is me. Yeah. Um, and, and as long as I'm honest with myself and what I believe and, and, and I put messages out there that align with that, then I'm happy. doesn't mean that it's for everybody. The... The idea with kind of experiences, I mean, I don't, I never really cared for stuff that much. You know, this is the only t-shirt that I own. I have six in black, two in navy, two in, in gray. And the reason for that is quite simple. I, I believe very strongly in, in minimizing decision fatigue. The fewer decisions that I need to make over the course of a day, um, the more energy that I'm going to have for, again, the people and the things that really matter to me. And, and you see that trend amongst a lot of people, you know, Zuckerberg, Barack Obama, or both the same way. I mean, they both wear the same t-shirt every day. Yeah. You see that kind of mentality a lot. Um, you know, I don't own a watch. I just bought my first car, uh, like, and it's like, you know, a 2007 used car with 180,000 kilometers on it. Like, I don't really care. Like, to me, a car is utility. It gets me to point A to point B. Um, if you love cars, absolutely spend a lot of time with cars. I think what's important with this mindset is an understanding of what you love and what doesn't matter and maximizing your time love by minimizing your time and effort decisions on everything that doesn't to you. And I think that's the lesson. You know, if you love clothes, go for it, man. Put all your effort into clothing. Of course. But if your goal in wearing clothing is simply to be comfortable mm -hmm. and feel like you look good, is having a different brand of t-shirt going to affect that goal? I don't think so. The thing that I noticed in my coaching, but now I've been just shy of eight years with clients, there's a very strong correlation between the clients that I've worked with and a love and a prioritizing of travel and those kind of experiences. And what I think is going on is the people who, and again, there's that correlation between being happier and travel experiences, but those like, people are also the ones who are much more likely to purchase personal training, to work with a trainer, to have that experience. So, and I think there's a strong relationship with people who value that and people mm -hmm. who will value the experience of improving their life and spend money on it. Or at least long term. Yeah, that's interesting. That's that's very interesting. I mean, I, I hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, I guess I kind of see that correlation amongst some of my clientele, but I haven't really trained anybody for about six years, so it's been a while. Um, I don't know if that's true. That's that's really interesting. I, I, I that's would, something I think about a little bit more. I, I would say like maybe the one. 
here, here's my thoughts on it is the people that would stay long term and the people who actually truly because you have like a lot of clients that will come and go but there's some that definitely would fit that that's my experience that's what i want to spend money on so i don't mm. you have good clients I mean, man they got it down <laughs> they know life there's definitely there's definitely a correlation between people who um invest their time and the money into fitness and discipline um you know, it doesn't mean that you need to be whipped or jacked, but like there's a reason why the majority of high profile CEOs are in pretty good shape. You know, there's a pattern there. And and that's that's a behavior. Um the one thing and we are we're short on time with John, he's a busy man, he's doing thirty podcasts in three weeks, which is insane. Um, we did want to talk about, we'll just talk about, <laughs> just let's touch on that. 30, travel bit. Yes, 30. I love to travel. Travel's amazing. Um, <laughs> travel's good for you. Um, travel's good for you. It's, you have to make a decision whether you're going to maximize finances or maximize experiences. I think that you can do well with both, but I don't think you can do great with both. And, um, and I, I definitely made that decision to uh, maximize experiences because at the end of the day, I think that's going to make me more interesting as well towards other people. And that is going to improve everything that I do, my writing, my books, my branding, everything. In addition, it's just more fun. And that's really – so there's your answer to the travel. Yeah, that's that's how we want. Honestly, let's do that for every question. I want the, the typed out like freaking 30-second answer. We'll just hit 100 questions. But I do want your thoughts on – we'll call it Instagram TV right now, but that's just the next thing. But new right. features in – we'll call it social media or the interwebs that – trainers need to jump on and the next new thing um, until something new comes along. Would you kind of share your perspective on emerging technologies and how trainers can utilize or how it may negatively affect them for, I, I guess, taking on everything too with social media? Yeah. I mean, Instagram TV is the newest thing. Um, I mean, I don't even have it on my phone yet because I haven't updated Instagram, mm -hmm. but the reality of it is there's just, there's, there's always going to be a newest thing. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to study people who are super successful across all industries. I mean, not not like the bro who's like, yeah, I made $100,000 in this funnel. Like, that's cool and that's impressive. But but that's not – there's nothing interesting about that to me. To me, what's interesting is repeatability. Have you been able to do this over and over and over and over and over again? Preferably in different industries. And also, are you at this level in your industry where there's a ton of people who do the same thing as you? But you're way above and beyond in terms of how revered you are. I mean, I'm talking like Tony Robbins. I'm talking like Seth Godin, for example. And then, and then I look for commonalities amongst these people that may not be present in other people. And, and Seth Godin to me is a perfect example. That guy is still using TypePad. TypePad predates Blogspot, <laughs> which predates WordPress, which predates Squarespace and Wix and all those types of things. I haven't checked for a while, but at one point, like four or five years ago, he was something like 98.6% of all of TypePad's traffic. Um, <laughs> another, another thing that Seth does is he, he basically ignores everything that marketers say to do. You know? Yeah. He does a little bit of like Facebook Lives now. He played around with a little bit of Facebook Messenger, um, automated bot testing. It doesn't look like he's doing much of that anymore. But he doesn't even have an email list. He's got an RSS feed. Basically, just blasts out his blog. He doesn't respond to messages on any social media. Um, he just ignores all of that. It's just completely irrelevant. Basically, what he does is he ignores the spikes for the long-term growth. Yeah. And because when you keep chasing spikes, you're going to have short-term wins. 
Absolutely. If you try to game algorithms by, oh, Facebook is is favoring Facebook video right now, so you have to do tons of video. Oh, now they're doing lives, so you have to do tons of lives. Oh, now they're doing Periscope, so you got to jump on Periscope because everything's there, and then Snapchat, and then Instagram TV, and like, if you jump on all of that stuff the second right at the beginning, absolutely you're going to be able to spike your traffic. But it's going to go away. And when it goes away, you're going to have to start new. Yeah. Versus actually building things that matter, actually putting assets out into the world that work for you, and, and I think this unfortunately needs to be said, actually getting good. Like, it takes time and it takes work. And what are some things like, and this is just so to pick your brains for some of our listeners is like, what are some of those like standard pillars that people should kind of be putting out that would kind of encompass their work that is outside of the spike? You know what I mean? Well, well, think about it in terms of impressions. Um, How are you going to maximize impressions? How are you going to get somebody to think of you and talk about you and password on about you over and over and over again in ways that you could never hope to to measure over many, 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 many years? We're talking about real things in people's hands in their houses that they look forward to having. Yeah. Nothing else. I mean, for me, it's books. Maybe it's going to be some sort of water bottle type swag stuff. Maybe, probably not, because you're probably not going to be that, make that much of an impact with that stuff. But, but that's, that's how you get the number of impressions that you need. I mean, do a simple mathematical equation. Like, like, first of all, Facebook ad costs, like any paid user acquisition is just skyrocketing right now. Facebook ad cost has gone up three times since January. It's now June and it's on an exponential curve, which means it costs three times more to get a customer than it did in January. Yeah. Mm. In 10 months, that's going to be 10 times because it's exponential. I mean, it's, it's to the point where if you don't have a robust back end and basically if you're not a full-time internet marketer or run a big business with a huge budget, yeah. you're not going to be able to use paid advertising on Facebook or Instagram. It's just there's just not enough space, too many advertisers. It's it's basic it's, supply and demand. Yeah. And so so even if you do that, okay, so it's gonna cost me like five to seven bucks a lead now. Um right now, if if you're reasonably good and if you're getting a high quality lead with Facebook ads. So I could spend $20 and I can send somebody a free copy of my book. Okay, that person now is ecstatic because I went above and beyond for that person. They're probably going to share a word of my book on their social media. So you're going to get a couple hundred impressions out of that, maybe thousands, depending on who they are. In addition, that person is going to see that book probably every single day on their shelf, on their, on their bedside table, whatever it is, even if they don't read it. There's a chance that they're going to talk about it. Like, like how many impressions did I just buy for twenty dollars over years? <laughs> I mean, hundreds, thousands. Yeah. You cannot even come close to replicating that, but you can't measure it. And so, I guess, I guess, Dean, that's the that's that's my overwhelming principle here. Yeah, is the things that you can measure matter so much less than the things that you can't. Yeah, and it's not even close. And people but don't it, see it, that. It requires a deep understanding. Well, and, and new people coming to the industry won't necessarily understand that because they're just looking at the video that pops up. You need to be Facebook marketed, blah, 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 and get this. But they don't see that other, the, the, those other impressions that you can't count. And I think that people are more likely right. to skip that step and just go straight for the Facebook ad as, as opposed to having something. <laughs> having a story, having something that gives, something that's good. 
Well, and, and also just getting good yourself so yeah. that when you do meet somebody, when you do shake a hand, like you make that impression. Well, we've got we've got a piece coming out in, in a few months for Fitness Marketing Monthly about this unbelievable pattern that we've seen where so many top, really popular trainers have gone out of their way to study stand up comedy and improv. Mm. <laughs> I remember when I was in Seattle, um, Luca Hosevar and Jay, Jay Ferugia and yep. uh, another friend of theirs got up on the stage and did a stand-up comic routine. Right. Uh, Max Shank, a little different, but he practiced, I think it was a saxophone for six weeks, saying that he was going to get up on stage and do it, having never done it, and get up. And that was the most memorable thing about the entire uh, event. Right. And there was a ton of speakers there, uh, those sort of displays. Well, and also just it, Absolutely. And also just what that, what impact that makes when you shake somebody's hand and you're speaking to them. Um, at the end of the day, if we're talking about fitness specifically, I think it's any industry. Yeah. Um, but if we're talking about fitness specifically, at the end of the day, people buy people, not things. Yeah. And, and increasingly, it's becoming that way because it, there's just too many factors to consider. Um, there's too much distrust in the marketplace yeah. where – most consumers inherently are what's called satisficers. Purchase decisions are more driven by the belief that something isn't going to be crap than they are by the belief that what they're buying is going to be great. Which is the, the perception that somebody might think that they're going to look stupid to others in the community or that they care about if they buy something is a stronger detraction than just about anything else to a purchase. So if you kind of understand that, or if you believe me, yeah. Um, and and if you kind of understand that, it's like, well, your goal then as somebody who produces something to sell, especially if that something is you, is to build trust around you, is to build a reputation around you, is to build relationships around you so that people know that what they're going to buy isn't going to be a complete piece of crap. It doesn't really matter that it's actually going to be that good. It helps. I mean, it, it does help. That's a, that's a crazy thing. <laughs> it helps for those untrackable impressions that you can't track. But you, if you have that huh. starting point, I'm right. sure that, yeah. Right. I mean, you've so, got to get results. But yeah. like, really, how hard is it to get results in fitness for the for a general consumer? So just look trustworthy. How, like, what's that look like? Like jump up and down. Like there's your workout. Like it's not. It ain't complicated. As long as somebody does it, it ain't complicated. I mean, once once you get into the nitty gritty of program design, yes, absolutely, it's complicated for more advanced clients. Absolutely, it's complicated for the majority of people that trainers work with. There's thousands and thousands and almost an infinite amount of variations of programs that would probably get them results that they'd be satisfied with, as long as they do it. Now, for the since since we're on time crunch, no more answers except for this one. Andrew, hit him with the book one. <laughs> All right. So we just want to know a book that you read. You yeah, read, right? That's okay. Do I've been read? quiet because of my voice. So you're a writer, author. Uh, so it would be safe to assume you probably do a fair bit of reading as well. Yeah. Um, do you have any books that you would encourage everyone to read to improve their own life? And I'll let you cite one of your own and then one that you didn't write. You make him cite his own? That's like, that's a tough man. Yeah. I mean, look, the only, if, if you're a fitness professional getting into the industry, you read a book called Ignite the Fire. I mean, that's my own. That's, that's the book that every trainer should read. 
Um, if you're not a fitness professional and you're interested in marketing, you're interested in word of mouth theory, you're interested in social contagion, you're interested in why people share things online, read a book called Vironomics. That's the only book that I've ever written not for fitness professionals. Um, books that I think that everybody should read, it's, it's hard to answer because I think that a book is such a personal thing. I, and, and, and it's a personal thing in terms of, of we just enjoy different things. But also, when you encounter a book over the course of your life, I think makes a big difference. For example, I read Lynchpin by Seth Godin very early on in my career, and it was extremely impactful for me. Yeah. If I were to read that book today, probably wouldn't mean much to me. But but I do recommend that everybody read it. I mean, how do you how do you make yourself indispensable? Yeah. I think it's I think it's a very important concept. Um, beyond that, I think understanding behavioral psychology, yeah, why the difference between what people say they're going to do and what people actually do. I think just understanding some of the fundamentals, and I'll give you a couple books, but understanding a couple of the fundamentals and then actually watching what people do. Like, like sit in stores and watch what people buy, watch what questions people ask salespeople and realize just how silly those questions actually are for understanding whether or not the product is good. Look at what products sell and what products don't sell. Look at what people pay premiums for and what people don't. And, and as long as you understand some principles, I mean, look at why Donald Trump won the election. <laughs> I mean, it, like if, if you understand persuasion and you understand behavioral psychology, it was actually pretty obvious that he was going to win. Um, there's a book called Win Bigly by Scott Adams, who's the creator of Dilbert. Like, read that book. Man, it's frightening. But but I was saying to Allison all the way through now, I mean, I can never prove this and, and everybody's going to be like, yeah, 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 you just say that you were doing it. But like, I was saying to Allison all the way through, I'm like, he's going to win. They're just, it, this is just too powerful. This and And the thing about really powerful psychology is this. You can know what's happening to you. And you still fall prey to it. <laughs> and like that's, that's how you know that it's good. Um, anyway, so, so, so books. Um, I think Thinking Fast and Slow by, by Kahneman and Tafsky yep. is, I mean, the, yep. the gold standard, but it's, it's a pretty deep book. Like, mm -hmm. like you got to be really into it. Um, there's some lighter, sort of more popular type books that basically summarize his research. Um, Kahneman and Tafsky's research, who were the guys who, who did most of the research, like Predictably Irrational by Ariely is a good one. Um, although it's funny yeah. because irrationality, like like the people who created behavioral economics say that irrationality is not actually the right term um, and that people aren't irrational. They're actually, well, I would argue that people aren't irrational or irrational, but they're post-rationalizing. Basically, we just make up rational narratives for what we do um, after the fact. Yeah. We don't actually have any idea what's going to happen. Um, we just pretend like we do. But uh, but predictably rational is a fantastic one, um, and then influenced by Cialdini. I mean, those are the two yes. yep. standards. Like like you can get super deep down the rabbit hole, and if anybody listening to this wants like has kind of read those and wants to get deeper, um, I'm happy to make make more recommendations. But those are those are the ones I'd start with. So Great. The good thing is you read. You're smart. <laughs> those are like the best the books ever. <laughs> those are all the rabbit hole books and everyone like if you open those books, you're going down. You're going down there. It's great. Yeah, right. In a good well, way. Well, that's kind of it. Yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, you it, it's hard if you are interested in that type of thing to read those books and not have your mind blown. Absolutely. Um, um which which I think um, is the power of them because you realize just how true it is and and how much intuitively you know how true this stuff is, yeah. but but you never realize that you know it. And they put it and in a way which you're like, oh, it, that's exactly, you get pissed off. You're like, fuck. 
I've yeah. been doing, and you like go through your whole life. You're like, oh man. So go read them if you want your mind blown. Um, I'm so stupid. That's exactly it. Why do I react like that? And then you do it again and you're like, I'm so stupid. The worst is when you're doing it. Do you ever think about thinking fast and slow and like he'll, you'll, you'll be in a conversation and you'll, he'll, you'll hear like a quote in the book. You're like, damn it, I'm doing it right now. And then you change it. But like that happens so much now. I hate it. I hate it. And, and it's funny because the people who do the research still will be the first to admit that they fell prey to it. Um, Ariely did a Netflix documentary online and why people lie it was pretty interesting. And he featured a lot of people who have like cheated in sports yeah. on large scales and spoke to them, about why they did it. And one of the main messages that comes out is like, I understand the science as well as anybody. And I still do it. Yeah. Heuristics <laughs> in the moment. Yep. Like, Oh man. Okay. Um, just, you gotta go. Where do people find you? What's the best place to consume all things you, and then you're out of here. Yeah, if you're a personal trainer, go to a website called the Personal Trainer Development Center. It's theptdc.com. If you're interested in online training, go to onlinetrainer.com, uh, and you'll find everything from me there. I don't really do anything for general consumers, so I hope that you guys, if you're not in the fitness industry, got something out of this. Uh, but uh, but yeah, all my work's to fitness people. Great. Thanks so much, John. We really appreciate your time and you coming on here. I know you got a big blast of podcasts to take care of, but... Uh, We'll be in touch with you with some stuff about setting this one up for its release, too. So thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Shut up and sit down.